I'm listening. I'm putting my ears to the ground. I'm keeping my eyes peeled, gonna stand watch until the dawn. Is there something out there for a weary soul waiting for a moment's rest to come? Is there someone out there listening to me? Is there anyone there at all? What am I supposed to do when the night gets cold and long? What am I supposed to think when I'm left out here all alone? Where am I supposed to go when all I want is to go home? Is there something out there for a weary soul waiting for a moment's rest to come? Is there someone out there listening to me? Is there anyone there at all? My guest today is someone I originally connected with on social media. She's a writer. She spent the last few years working out the concept of orphan believers, people who love Christ and are simultaneously troubled by the trajectory of the church. She's completing her D-min in the sacred art of writing at the Peterson Center for the Christian Imagination at Western Theological Seminary. And her book, Orphan Believers, is forthcoming from Baker Books. Sarah Billups, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. And I have to tell you that I heard you pause a little bit at the D-min. I did. I was like, wait, (laughs) how do I read this? (laughs) Because like every time I say I'm getting a D-min, my kids just howl with laughter. It's like the funniest thing ever. And uh, it's a little awkward to say. Well, that whole thing is... We could say doctorate of ministry, but that sounds very fancy. And the whole thing is actually quite a mouthful. A a doctorate of ministry in the sacred art of writing at the Peterson Center for the Christian Imagination at Western Theological Seminary. I mean, they could cut out a few words for real. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's quite the elevator pitch right there. (laughs) I, you know... There's actually a lot I love in that long string of words, sacred art of writing, Christian imagination. Yeah. How, yeah, how are you thinking about those things? Like when you say like, this is the program I'm in, like, do those things really have a lot of meaning for you or does it just sound like a program? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm back from, uh, it's a low residency program in Holland, Michigan. So I'm back from my second, my second week with my cohort. And honestly, you know, as a person in my you know, I'm not sure. It's 44, like earlier mid. I I think it's like officially mid, mid-40s. but I'm going to say, I'm going to, I kind of want to say early, but it's basically mid. We can so, say you're late, <laughs> you're late thirties. <30s. laughs> yeah. Like my very, very late thirties as a person in my forties, I wasn't, I didn't expect to find a degree program. I wasn't looking for a demon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I really love Eugene Peterson's work and Wayne Collier who wrote his biography recently was starting this program. At Western, and I thought, huh, I've never gotten an MFA because I'm not interested in teaching. Just not sure. Mm -hmm. But there was something about those words, the sacred art of writing. Mm -hmm. And so for our last cohort this week, our guest lecturer was Leif Enger, Mm who wrote Peace Like a River and some Mm -hmm. novels, like an amazing writer. And he started the first class off. um, There's about 25 of us and said, why would anybody choose to do a program called the sacred art of writing in 2022 like essentially why why would a christian 
pursue a writing degree and want to talk about that now in our ultra polarized world. And it was such a compelling question. And uh, listening to what my classmates said was incredibly moving and made me realize I was in the right place mm. because I, I'm in the program because I actually finally have something to say. I have a lot to say uh, post-2016 and looking at our political climate and what's going on in the church. I didn't have anything to say for a long time and now I can't seem to, to stop having things to write about. So it, it certainly is the right program at the right time. I, I, I totally resonate with it. I mean, as a songwriter, sometimes it's like, what am I going to write about? You know, like the way Half-Light came out, there were so many things happening in the world. You know, it was uh, it was yeah. 2020. So right back in a in a presidential election, we have a pandemic going on. George Floyd, you know, had just happened. And I'm just looking out at the world and the church particularly and just very troubled at its inability to really speak to these issues. That's right. Did you start writing it before? When did you start writing some of the songs? Yeah, I started writing this first batch. And actually this song, uh, All I Want Is Home, I wrote in 20, I want to say it was 28. It was 2018 because mm -hmm. uh, my buddy Pete, out of the blue one day, sent a text <laughs> and just said, hey, songwriter night at the Connor Byrne, December 18th, come with five new songs. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't written totally. any songs in like 10 years. And so uh i don't know if i'm gonna do this and that was like i think it was like three weeks away or something like that and this is the pub in ballard yeah. is that what connor yeah. i'm thinking okay we're both sort of seattle folks. yeah so. yeah totally so you know i kind of just figured well even if i come with like <laughs> five really crappy songs i'll come with five really crappy songs and just like chalk it up as you know i did that and it was the effort so anyways but to go back to your question I started writing in 2018, kind of first batch of songs. So that was All I Want Is Home, Fear and Love, Don't Let the Fear Capture Your Heart, When Will My Day Come? Those songs all kind of came together. But then that was all I had. So at first, when we went into the studio in 2020, it was really to record those songs and make an EP. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so then all the other conditions kind of hit, you know, and the rest of the album just kind of poured out in a pretty short period of time. There's a there's a lot of longing, you know, when I listen to the album, but just like an undercurrent of of goodness, Joe. Hmm. But I, I just really appreciate how you seem to have captured not just uh, the sort of pregnancy of this moment of this sort of time when everything in the church is shifting, when the world is kind of breaking apart, but yet doing that with the tenderness or like a hope kind of comes through for me, which is just so lovely. And I think that's the hard line to walk as creative people, how do you call into account or speak, speak truth or be clear, honest, but also lead back towards, towards something, lead us ahead in some way, you know, and that's just a hard line to walk sometimes. But I just really sense that in the music. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really trying to do that. I was just so troubled and I felt really alone in the world at that point in time. And I put all those concerns, like even like hope, wasn't really like, mm -hmm. do I want this to be a hopeful work? I don't know. I want it to be a very honest work. I think that was kind of the first thought because after many years of not writing, and maybe you might, I don't know, you might, anyways, after many years of not writing, it was more about like getting back in touch with my writing process, being comfortable with, with my voice and what I had to say. 
and what I was wrestling mm-hmm. with and just putting that out there. And, you know, it is kind of funny, like a song like Benediction for the Broken, you know, ends the album. I think that is a hopeful kind of forward looking song. And so, yeah, on one hand, it wasn't, I, it's kind of funny. I wasn't really trying to like, I want hope to be here. But then I, I did <laughs> at the same time. Like, you know, what's you know, it's funny. And as you're talking about, I'm realizing, I think I'm kind of projecting hope. I think that I think what I'm doing is realizing there sometimes it feels like there's few of us that are looking to pursue Jesus in a complicated time. Mm-hmm. I think that there's sort of, I think for me, hope knowing, oh, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. This is, so the album is kind of like a marker of kind of collective yeah. loneliness, which actually feels hopeful. Yeah. So it's a very, I, <laughs> that was like a floaty way of getting there. But I think that's kind of what it is now that I'm trying to put words. To yeah. It. It's I'm not alone or someone else sees this too, or someone else is, is, yeah. is struggling with this. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to know how you landed on this concept of orphan believers. Like, how did that come about? And you mentioned, and I'm, I'm curious, kind of in the context of what you said earlier, for a long time, you didn't really have much to say. 2016 happens, yeah. and then it's kind of like you can't stop. <laughs> and I would say the same thing about you. What you just said to me is that, you know, I've found your writings to be very helpful for me it's like okay same thing someone else out there is doing this but also like you just have such a kind tone even when you're when you're talking firmly and i think that that is i'm envious of that because i don't have that well (laughs) that that must be at least mildly accidental (laughs) but i'm glad something's coming through (laughs) thank you that's really nice i mean uh orphaned believers so i love the band over the rhine Mm. they have this song all my favorite people the lyrics are, all my favorite people are broken. Believe me, my heart would know. Orphans, believers, skeptical dreamers, you're welcome. You don't have to go. Mm. Something like that. And I just, uh, going back to longing, like I just felt like there's a sort of home for those of us that are that are feeling displaced either culturally or in the church. And that, that phrase just was so sticky to me. I uh, tend to be a fairly visual person. And when I think about my own experience as a person identifying as a Christian in Seattle, I don't, I tend to use floatier words like, oh, I was wandering in a spiritual desert for 10 mm-hmm. years, or it's just kind of the way my mind works. And so something, there was something a little bit literary about it. And some folks might um, relate more to feeling orphaned, some believer, some different times and different seasons. So it felt like a spacious word. Mm-hmm. But really, when I say orphaned believer, I, I just mean folks looking around the American church and and wondering where Jesus is. So that kind of led to a, a book. And the, the main things I look at and think about are, you know, coming up in the 80s and 90s uh, as the kid of, of two boomer evangelical parents that are lovely people. I was raised in a house that valued going to the mall on Saturday and then on Sunday going to church. I was raised with a dad that was very um, infatuated with the end times. Mm. He became a Christian in the 70s when Lake Planet Earth from Hal Lindsay and kind of some Christian scare movies were very much in the ether. And so I was raised with a lot of fear of the world ending and kind of a a certain flavor of evangelicalism. So I was also raised uh, in a kind of culture wars heavy church where I was really taught a lot about single issue voting and other things that define Christians that were not linked to Jesus, but linked to kind of larger and broader cultural conversations. 
So when I think about what happened to us as kids, I realized that for me and other folks, there was not a lot of spiritual formation, a lot of focus on prayer or Mm -hmm. disciplines Mm -hmm. or pursuing a life more like Jesus, but a lot of focus on a cultural Christianity that for many folks has fallen flat and, um, and led to a sort of complicated current situation uh, in our world and in our political sphere. So Man, that's some of what I what I mean. That's a lot. And if I understand right, like you're you're not from Seattle. You are from oh yeah, Indiana. Indiana. Midwest. Okay, I was gonna say Kansas, <laughs> and I don't know why I have that in my mind. Well, are you from are you from are you from Washington? No, I'm from California. Oh well, any West Coaster like Kansas, Iowa, Indiana, they're like a clump. Right. I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah. It all feels like the same. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so coming out of that context, and then coming to Seattle. Yeah. I imagine that process for you was, well, a, a process. Like how how did you come from yeah. that flavor of evangelicalism to where you are now? Because I imagine yeah. those those pictures yeah. of Sarah, pre-Seattle Sarah and now are, are maybe very different. Yeah, that's that's totally. You know, I um I went to high school in the nineties, and it, my sophomore year had a really wonderful experience. It was um, listening to REM's "Automatic for the People" mm. for the first time. That's the year that some Smashing Pumpkins released "Siamese Dream." Like there were many kind of college bands or or you know bands doing really interesting music that I discovered. I began to read some literature and write poems and think a little bit about aesthetics and ideas. So I became at least um, mildly creative and, you know, thrifted everything and really associated with, with subculture of interest in, in the beats and began to feel pretty estranged in my hometown, um, as well as at my, my I went to a, a Taylor University, which is a small Christian college in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, mm-hmm. um, and actually had um, found some really great friends and met my husband there because he was wearing a Cure shirt <laughs> on campus and then his hair dyed. And back then, Joe, that was not like a common right. a common person to find at my <laughs> at school. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, really, really uh, began to crave a place where I would be able to experience really good art music, food, a place that was more beautiful. And, you know, since, since listening to Nevermind at a seventh grade sleepover for the first time, like the, the idea of Seattle was like this mythical place. And then, you know, hearing in high school about bands that were on tooth and nail that were like cool Christian bands. And like some of them lived in Seattle Drew and my husband Drew and I began to realize, oh, maybe Seattle is sort of like this wonderland where we can feel creative and expressive, but also identify as Christians in a way that's more fulfilled or kind of holistic. So we moved out tw- almost 20 years ago, landed in the city and quickly, uh, I, this is a good segue now, this is funny. So quickly began to realize that Seattle had its own flavor and also sensed really early on some hostility or animosity towards towards several, you know, towards Christians in Seattle in general, thinking about Stranger, mm-hmm. our alt weeklies headlines. Mm-hmm. It was like a beat, you know, it was like candy yeah. to talk about, to talk about, um, Mars Hill specifically, right. <laughs> yes, uh, and Mars Hill owned businesses, or like the Paradox, the music venue. There's the coffee companies and folks. So, yep. so I, I began to realize quickly this is actually going to be a place that instead of me feeling like I can freely kind of explore faith and culture, I'm pretty quickly going to have to box these two things separately. Mm. And so, you know, I started working at an art book publisher and writing for alt weeklies and had a very public public sort of six day a week life and then went to church. Hmm. So for about a decade, I had a very kind of cloistered 
life where I did not talk about identifying as a Christian and in fact felt like I would be not received if I did. So I had a lot of fear. Um, and it wasn't until I started writing privately in 2016 about some stuff with church and culture and then publicly in 2018 that I kind of got over that. And honestly, my light was like so much under a bowl that it was almost snuffed up. I mean, I, I just, I, I, it was immensely liberating to be able to identify as who, who I am. And I think I realized I was afraid because it's so exhausting to explain like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind. Yeah. Or I'm a Christian, but let me take 10 minutes that you might not have to tell you what I mean. It's just, it was a lot of work and that was scary, but it, it does not feel like that now. It feels like folks are gracious, yeah, generous, often curious and, and really warm. So yeah. It was a long answer, but that's kind of what's what happened. It's really good. I and man, I, I've found people to be generous, kind, and, and and warm as well. Like I resonate with so much of what you just said. I'm curious though about you're saying like the light was almost snuffed out. How do you so how did that affect your writing? You were writing for alt weeklies and stuff during that period of time where it's like, you know, the six days yeah, that's right. and, and then the seventh day. And it seemed like maybe there's a disconnect between the or you said, you know, you kind of had two boxes like did that affect your writing in any way? Yeah. I mean, I was right. So I was editing a, a restaurant blog. I was writing up to six posts a day. I was, I was writing a lot, yeah. <laughs> but all of the writing I was doing was, was for work or was professional. I was doing no, no writing. Per, I was not journaling. I was not writing about what I was seeing in Seattle or my own experience spiritually. I just, I disconnected it creatively, like completely from that, from that part of my life. So I spent my thirties having a couple of kids going to grad school and then writing professionally, but just didn't have space and didn't know how to even access kind of writing about, about issues that I now write about basically exclusively. Yeah. So that, that all changed in 2016 then. Yeah. So is that moment then for you, like where the, the boxes just kind of faded away and everything yeah. was like, here's, yeah. here's. Here's Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I went to Hudson, New York with my friend Michelle um, in January of 2018. I'd been writing for a while, but not sharing anything and had a, um, a, pretty, um, a pretty powerful experience there. It was because of the help of my friend saying just, you know, I'm with you. I support you. Like just, it just felt like I needed to have someone with me to help me kind of nudge, nudge over. So I pressed live on a website that February mm. um, where I was just blogging a little bit and then starting to write on Instagram. I think the hardest part was just putting something out there. And then it got, it got a lot easier. I had imagined, I had imagined kind of a various people from my, my life in Seattle learning, Oh, I didn't know Sarah was a Christian. And for some reason it just became very like, I realized it was very self-aggrandizing or like, I was so worried. I mean, I, I realized it's not like uh so-and-so from the alt-weekly is going to wake up every morning for a week and say, I still can't believe it. Right, right. <laughs> I still can't believe I didn't know Sarah. I mean, who, who cares? Right. It's like nobody. It was So I, I think that once I crossed that hurdle, I began to actually connect with other people pretty quickly saying, I, I feel bewildered. My relationships with my family have been splintered. I've experienced church or abuse. I've experienced immense loss. I don't know what to do. I, everything that I thought I knew about Christianity is being kind of pulled out and, and revealed as false. 
And just being able to move into that community of people uh, was just, again, just very liberating and and a real gift. Uh, Mm. So that's kind of quickly, quickly how things turned that year in 2018. You had said something earlier that that made me think about just the the concept of home, like this song, you know, this longing for home, and that's right there in the name Orphan Believers, because, you know, an orphan is one way to define orphan is someone without a home. Yeah. As you have talked to people, as you've explored your writing and your thoughts, people have responded. You've had various conversations with a lot of people. How's that concept of home emerged for you or how have you mm-hmm. has your concept of home changed as you've worked through this idea yeah uh yeah i love that question i think that when i when i think about home my mind goes a few places and one of them is that is the church there are, are ways in which those of us who have been harmed by the church those of us that have hearts kind of burning in us to to still move towards Jesus in the very presence of uh, not excusing, not swiping under, not putting under the rug, not not forgetting about or thinking through, but actually acknowledging and talking about all that's happened, but still those of us that want to move towards Jesus, there's this longing in some of us and a burning for change. And to me, that is moving towards our true home. The idea of, of a home in Christ that honestly, Joe, sometimes I think it seems like the work that I'm doing in my life is to is to try to tell folks, hey, I'm overwhelmed. Life is hard. Uh, I'm tired. But I believe that if I'm going to choose to call myself a Christian, I want to be all in. Like I want to really mm. try to live faithfully as much as I can. And part of that work includes calling out and also push pulling us towards the idea of home together. Mm. Um, but sometimes on hard days, I think, I might never, I might never see it. Like, what if we work our whole lives towards a better, a better home, a better church, but one doesn't come. What if one doesn't come for a long time? Mm -hmm. But I I still feel convinced that even if I don't see it or I'm laying groundwork for, for my kids or for someone else, like that we will have a renewed church. Because when I say church, I really just mean the body of believers that loves Jesus. Mm -hmm. Church is what God left us with. And so Mm -hmm. the way that we can harm each other and mess up is so profound and so wounding. But yet I have to believe that Christ left his church for a reason and it's part of the story. And so working to rebuild that in any way feels immensely hard and yet like a calling. And so essentially working to build a home, like maybe from the foundation up, you know? So I guess I say that with sadness and heaviness, but also again, like Mm -hmm. circling back to the beginning, like with, with hope. That's I feel a hope kind of at the foundation. This uh, I feel a hope at the foundation. Yeah. So that's that's kind of some of what what I hear and and what I think through. That those of us that if we can, if we feel safe, if it feels okay to to work towards uh, rebuilding the church, whatever that looks like. You know, I think you asked the question, how would that be now? How is it different? I don't know. I don't. I don't have a clear vision of what that means or what church is supposed to look like 
I just think yeah. it's where two or three are gathered. I don't have a a clear a clear vision. I mean, I will tell you personally. I've recently become Anglican. Like like huh. I'm two I'm two weeks Anglican. I'm like two <laughs> weeks in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like ultra that's, fresh. That's, yeah, that's a big. But that, that's a big change. Yeah, but you know, in in our in my life, I think I've had all all manner of denomination affiliation, high church, yeah. low church, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit centered church liturgical church i just had a little a little taste of all of it and there have been good and hard things and complicated things about all of those all those places so acknowledging that is important to me but also choosing to this is the other thing the thing that i think about when i think about home is how home is also a place for a family that we wouldn't choose and sometimes that's really beautiful and sometimes that's really hard and i really feel like that about church too i love that i go on Sunday to be with a group of people that I didn't pick. And I've learned, I've learned to love, even if they're not like me, even if in many ways we would not have known each other or been friends, just seeing over time, like the love that's formed and respect for Mm. this this community of people is like so beautiful. And to me, that's like fruitful work of God, that kind of, that kind of community building. So that's something else that's been pretty special. Yeah. Man, I love the simplicity of that, wherever two or three are gathered. And at least for me, like defining it really not much further than that is wonderful. And and maybe that's just for me, like a reaction to kind of growing up in more kind of, you know, expressions of Christianity that placed an emphasis on tribe, you know, like we are in yeah, and they are out, which is not necessary. <laughs> and so just to be very simple and straightforward with that. And to, like you said, like to the people who are there, people I might not have chosen otherwise, there is definitely beauty in that because we can't, uh, sometimes it just takes work. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It sure, it sure does. And it's not bad, you know, like that's a, it's pretty cool when on the other side of that work is, you know, a human being that you're like, wow, I never would have connected with this person had we not put in that work and and yeah. I do now. And maybe there's a lot of ways like we, we shouldn't be friends or we shouldn't, you know, like, <laughs> but we are. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There've been times when I've looked around and just thought, I, I maybe wouldn't even like, like some of these people, but I like actually love them so much. Like, yeah. like thank you, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. But the, you mentioned kind of coming up in traditions where there was this kind of line between who's in and out. And that certainly feels a lot like how I, how I came up too in the church in the evangelical church in the Midwest. And there's just this sense of exceptionalism that can mm-hmm. kind of take root. And mm-hmm. that for me with, with my own particular flavor with my dad and end times, like feeling like, you know, something that other people don't, and you have something to offer, putting yourself in the position of, of having something to give mm-hmm. oftentimes can quickly make a very unhealthy kind of arrangement where instead of a genuine time of, of, of actually building community, you feel like you're kind of waiting to say something, waiting to position it the right way. I mean, my, my grandparents were Catholic. And so mm. there were a couple of times I was just in the backseat of our car in tears driving home because I tried to, I tried to get them to say the sinner's prayer and convert them to evangelicalism. And they, they said no. And I thought, that's it. Like I failed, you know? So mm. there's, it's sort of like this, uh, tense posture of kind of waiting for your end to like, maybe make your pitch yeah. almost like a marketing thing. There's just so many gross parts of that, that are not yeah. of Christ and not of the way of Jesus. So, you know, the way that 
I think this is kind of a classic story. And and John, my pastor, talks about building wells, not fences. And so that really is how I've I've lived my adult life, choosing to know that like we're just going to build a well. Like there are good things about Jesus, and like I have I have in in spite of how wild it may sound, I have chosen to believe this crazy but true story. And yeah. here's the goodness I've found, as opposed to trying to fence anybody in, which never yeah. does anything good right. for for anyone. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think, gosh, coming from that more tribal perspective to one where it's like, hey, agency matters. And, and people's stories are, you know, everyone's on their own timeline. That's right. And so we all kind of live, you know, if we kind of, <laughs> the, the quorum deo, you know, in the face of God, toward the face of God in different ways. And that's right. That's so good. The the, co- the coercive methods that were so like woven into the fabric of evangelicalism's notion of evangelism just for me created like so much anxiety that I finally was just like, I just can't care about this. <laughs> like, yeah, that's just, right. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. I hate it when people treat me this way. Like, why would I treat <laughs> someone else that way? Yeah, that's right. And instead, like we can offer, I think, like something far more valuable, which is just presence. and understanding and you know come alongside when you're when it's the in the well metaphor it's like here we are let's have a drink yeah there's no strings with this and i I don't even need to call it like this is the drink or it's like you know it's like (laughs) totally yeah let's be together in a moment for for a few minutes you know and just do that yeah that's the kind of that's that's exactly right you know the kind of home that i'm hoping the church can be certainly looks a lot more like a well yeah. And does not have any fence in sight. That's for sure. Yeah. And there's, I mean, the, the hospitality that comes with that, which is such a gift, man, the people who are so, who are good at that. Yeah. I don't know. That's my. <laughs> it's also so non-anxious. Yeah. You know, if, if God willing, our life is long, like, let, like we all go through various seasons. The other thing that's been big for me and like having, having, bringing up kids is just normalizing doubt not not pitting doubt as the opposite of fear mm-hmm. or condemning it or saying something's wrong or you should you should be wary but like actually let's let's expect this we're asking you like son i'd say to my, you know like to my child to to come along to join a story that that in many ways may feel unbelievable let's talk about how that feels and like what is yeah. good here and true and what have we learned and what where are you getting stuck or you know i'm just so much more comfortable with letting that process of faith for kids be spacious mm-hmm. because I have full trust in God's goodness and love for my kid. Uh, it is a joy and like a privilege to raise the kid up in the church and to raise the kid up as a Christian, but not not in the way that there would be any sort of uh, fear or, or rules, um, but instead that there would be, this is like a really lovely way that we think about the discipline of Christ, like, because it's, it leads to freedom and it's for flourishing. Like we're really, we're really trying. Are we messing yeah. up? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we're totally yeah. messing up, but we're really trying yeah. to, to be really honest with our kids about, about faith. Yes. The same, you know, and so much for me has changed in the last, <laughs> you know, five years. My girls are, you know, they're going to be turning 14 here in a couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, you're a couple of years ahead of me. Yeah. My goodness. And they are, you know, so like going through this kind of chance level of transformation as they are coming into their teen years, you know, it's like mm. the one thing I can't offer them is like being the same person I was when the day they were born. You know, that's like, it's just not who I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a different person 
change is good, by the way. Like, I think that's a tough concept. I think for, for at least that was a tough concept for me for a long time. You know, just this concept of like God being, you know, never changing, steadfast, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. the same yesterday, today, and forever, and feeling mm-hmm. like that's how I'm supposed to be as well. And it's like, yeah, no, that's not how I am. <laughs> and that's not yeah, how this that's is. Right. Uh, the, that's not how life is. I think change is actually a very good thing. Like we shouldn't be the, you know, the same that we were. I don't know. I think change, I've heard, I've heard someone else say like change, I think is just a mark of a healthy human being. Yeah. That's so good. And it's, it's wonderful to, to, to find yourself wading into new waters too. Like, I, yeah, that keeps life interesting. And it's like, oh, there's a lot of really good stuff here. I think like for me coming out of Mars Hill and realizing that there was, an entire history of the church that is far broader than the tribe that was Mars Hill. And they have so much to offer was just like, yeah, this is so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> why, why wasn't I able to see this? You know, I mean, we, we totally bought into the, like we had, we had found this is, this is it, you know? Yeah, that's right. It was your, it, is it do you would you say that word that it what Marcel was your home for a long time I mean do you think about it like that or has it always I mean yeah it's just <laughs> oh yeah. man that's just so seriously hard and I mean you know getting to know you several like so many folks passed through our church in those years yeah meeting with friends for coffee now just uh so just hearing how fresh it is having landed in Seattle kind of on the periphery and not really understanding for a while what I was sort of sensing as a Christian trying to find my footing here in the 2000s. I just, just want to acknowledge how, how fresh that still is. I mean, five years is like nothing, like nothing to our spirit, to our spirits. And uh, so my goodness, I know that many people are in many different places in the wake of what happened, but hearing the work that you're doing, the fact that you're expressing this sorrow and grief and longing for a better home and that we're having this conversation is just a really beautiful thing. So Mm. I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. keeping with the concept of home. So let's go back to 2016. For me, 2016 kind of shattered my notion of that the church was home. And it wasn't, the way I say it is this, the inability, it's not even the inability to speak to Trump. It was the outright support. Yeah. And as someone whose faith, you know, like I had just been through Mars Hill (laughs) and then, yeah, we 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 look at 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 Trump and Trump is just Mars Hill like to the you know the next order of magnitude right I mean the the conditions were very similar and that cult of personality the ends justify the means all of that stuff and and so as as I was starting to work through like kind of completely <laughs> separated from all of that stuff you know like what do I think about the Bible like is the Bible I, I used to believe the Bible was inerrant. You know, inerrancy was one of the first dominoes to fall for me. Mm-hmm. And working through like a huge question like that, because that influences how you view the world at the same time 
here comes, you know, here comes Trump. And then here's the church just like hopping on board. It was disorienting. It was deeply disturbing. And I, I couldn't believe that people weren't more, uh, <laughs> that we weren't talking about this more, you know, oh, like, and it's not yeah. that, you know, I, I talk with people about this a lot. It's not that I want the church to be like this place where we're, we're like visibly working out politics, but I, I just think like the church has some very specific issues that it has maintained silence on to its detriment and to the detriment of society. Race is a huge one. And then, you know, Trump oh, comes along and, yeah, and just I mean, that's hooks right. into that. Just thinking when you're talking, I'm thinking of the photo of Trump holding the Bible in front of the, the church. I'm thinking yeah. about what happened on January 6th in the insurrection. The fact that people of faith did not unequivocally reject and renounce white supremacy, unjust insurrection, political violence. Like the fact that those things were not like, like softballs. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's, it is it is bewildering the the fact that that even that day could not unify us. Uh, yeah. is is just something. And then thinking about the mix of crosses and Jesus save signs at the insurrection and then Trump hat like maga hats. Just that sort of melting together is just this interesting and kind of potent display of of nationalism, of God and country being just sort of pushed together. But it is incredibly discouraging. But as, you know, as a probably stupid optimist at times, the fact that that not every every American Christian voted for Trump that I mean, with the just mm-hmm. thinking about evangelicals to begin with, specifically, I think it was maybe twenty percent, nineteen or twenty percent that chose to vote against Trump, thinking about which equals millions of people. Like there are still millions yep. of specifically evangelicals that n- not even reflecting the entire American church that stand against Trump. So deciding to choose to feel hopeful because there are some of us that stand against Trump and renounce nationalism clearly. Is that, is that naive? Is that like being a Pollyanna? I don't think so. I think that's saying here is evidence of a remnant of, hmm. a, of, of a church that will rebuild and, and grow and, and move towards sort of a new home. Like here to me is evidence. And in a way, isn't having a sort of remnant of people that are pursuing Jesus and separating that out from politics really beautiful and hopeful and hasn't the church always kind of been small in that way until recent kind of American history. So, yeah. And, and many other, many other waves yeah. of, <laughs> oh, man. Of, of historical, you know, times. I think that's so interesting what you just said, because it makes me think, okay, so how I define home or how, how I define home Christianity as a major part of a cultural identity growing up in that used to that, that feels normal a world where Christianity is not at the seat of power in politics or in culture is actually not a familiar feeling for someone who grew up in the nineties in America. That's right. That's right. And so what is home (laughs) like looking forward? Like uh, what, what does that mean for how we view, you know, like if we just talk about kind of the, the, the remnant that you just, that you just described, (laughs) <laughs> like the this kind of small minority like home is home's kind of hard to define isn't it yeah yeah that's right i mean 
thinking about at a higher level, the wave of deconstruction that many folks that came up as evangelicals experience, and then thinking at a higher level of, of language around reconstruction, you know, the idea that we can't deconstruct forever, what are we rebuilding towards? It seems like the, the sort of, again, um, 30,000 foot view dialogue is like church broken, Jesus good. Like Jesus is doing okay right now. <laughs> a, <laughs> a, a refugee, you know, politically defiant, someone that, that was countercultural in the best way. Like mm-hmm. who Jesus was in his life certainly is, is appealing and attractive to, to many of us, no matter where we would identify on that sort of line of, of faith staying the same, deconstructing, reconstructing wherever. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think that if the idea is that Jesus is someone to move towards if, if Christianity and on, you know, as a side note, Joe, like to me, it is important. I do use the word Christian because I, I feel like that word is being co-opted by nationalists Mm -hmm. and supremacists. And uh, to me, it's important to kind of reclaim that word and to, to use it. So I choose to, many people feel differently about it, but to me, that's important. But if, if I'm moving towards that kind of Christianity, I think it will always look small for the rest of, at least for a while. I mean, denominations will continue to splinter and fracture. Things will continue to get broken. I mean, I don't want to kid myself. Like, of course, Trump will run again. I mean, will he win? I don't, maybe. And what does that mean? Like, I, I don't know. But I think that that means that regardless, it is okay to pursue, to pursue Jesus in, in a way that's quiet, in a way that is true. And in fact, I'm really interested in the idea of what it means being an ordinary person going all in and pursuing holiness, which really just means being set apart. Like, hmm. how do we, if we're Christians, choose to be set apart and move towards holiness while being in the world, while calling to account and calling out all of the brokenness in the world? But yet, when I say that, I really mean, how do we flourish as people of God and how do we continue to live transformed lives? Like, how do we do that at the same time? as doing the important work of speaking against the forces that are, are dividing are dividing the church. Like, how yeah. do we defend the church when we've been wounded? Uh, it's very complicated, but I think the common denominator is, is, is moving towards Jesus, which I know sounds very simple. That's like the Bible. That's like the Sunday school answer. Like any kid picks Jesus and that's the answer. But uh, that's, that's as far as I've gotten. That's kind of where the math has gotten me. That's the... <laughs> That's like no. the, the place yeah. I am right now. No, yeah. I, I find myself <laughs> there too. It's just like a way I've said it before is like, there's so much rot in the church. There's so much rot in evangelicalism. And yet the substance, like for as dark and bleak as things got for me, I, I still kind of like came back to, I I still very much find Jesus compelling. Everything, all the, the decorum that we've placed around Christ, you know, I just want it all to burn. Yeah. I want it all to die <laughs> and because I just want to see, and I, and I think this is what, like, I, this is a concept of home that's in this song. I just want to see Christ for who he is. Mm. And I don't want to have to sit and sift through all the bullshit just to get a taste, you know? That's right. Man. <laughs> it's just like yeah, so, that's right. Oh, that longing is, is so like, I've found that longing for me to go very, very deep. I don't know how far deep that goes, but it's in there. And it, you know, with everything else, with all the changes in the last few years, like that's there for sure. And I, I don't think I can shake that. 
That's right. That's so good. It's where else would we go? <laughs> where yeah. else can I go, Vaughn? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, we talked in the beginning about the, the, this Peterson Center for the Christian Imagination. Like, again, mm. this is not, this is not a new idea, but I do think that creative people doing interesting work, uh, with music and writing in the arts do have a part to play in whatever sort of home we're moving towards. I, I really do. And I have a curiosity about what that could look like. You know, in the 90s, there was just this interesting, it's funny now saying in the 90s, it sounds so like uh, crotchety, like I'm kind of like this middle-aged person longing for this other decade. But really there were, there were people making interesting art and and really pushing boundaries a little bit if you knew where to look, like the Cornerstone Music Festival and these oh, other little yeah. pockets of culture. Yeah. And I just do long for and want more of that now and want to see that and help help bring that about. I'd like because maybe Christianity just needs to get a little bit weirder, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit wackier. I don't mean that in like a Pentecostal way, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but yeah, in terms yeah. of imagination, you know. Awesome. Well, Sarah, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time today, and it's awesome just hearing your thoughts on this stuff. I think I've been such a fan of yours just because it's awesome to know there's someone else out there who's thinking about this stuff. That was mind-blowing for me as someone who felt you know questioning whether or not the church was home you know you wandered into my feed one day and i was like oh thank the lord (laughs) oh that's so kind joe thank you i've loved this conversation i'm really energized by it and uh i feel like after this i'm just gonna make some coffee and play your album awesome (laughs) it's a saturday so we can keep it going yeah do it well that sounds like a wonderful plan and uh i'll let you get to it cool thank you so much thank you
And all I want is to go home I'm listening I'm putting my ears to the ground I'm keeping my eyes peeled Gonna stand watch until the dawn There's something out there for a weary soul Waiting for a moment's rest to come And is there someone out there listening to me? Is there anyone there at all? Is there anyone there at all? Thanks for listening. The Half-Light Podcast is about my album Half-Light, and if you don't yet have a copy and if vinyl is your thing, head over to my Bandcamp page at joday.bandcamp.com and use the code PODCAST, all lowercase, one word, to get 20% off your copy of Half-Light. It's printed on 140 gram black vinyl, and it sounds fantastic if I do say so myself. If you want to stay up to date with what I'm doing, email is the best way head over to joedaymusic.com and sign up for my email list. I'm already working on the next thing, so there's going to be plenty to talk about in 2023. If you're interested in booking me, whether with my full band or just me in a living room or backyard, email booking at joedaymusic.com. On Instagram and Twitter, I am at joeday. You can find me there. And the Half-Light podcast is produced, edited, and scored by the one and only Jason Wagner. Jason does lots of other fun and interesting things with sound, and you can check out all of those at his website, oralfixation.me, A-U-R-A-L-F-I-X-A-T-I-O-N.me. That's it for now. Talk to you later.